1: This is the Unplayable Podcast. Sam Ferris here and on today's episode we catch up with Lisa Stalaker to get the lowdown on all things Women's World Cup, chat to pace ace Peter Siddle and cross to English journalist Chris Stocks in the wake of England's huge first test win over South Africa at Lords. We start with former Australia captain and two-time World Cup winner Lisa Stalaker live from jolly old England where Australia suffered their first loss of the Women's World Cup, a three-run defeat to England on Sunday, Lisa what are your overall thoughts on that match?
0: Well, firstly, I think it was a great match for the for the competition. Uh, the fact that we had over 4,500 people uh, at the ground. It was a close encounter that came down to the last ball. And for the England fans, it was just what they needed, having already suffered a defeat in the first game against India. If uh, England were to have lost that game, it would have made it quite difficult for them to potentially get into the semis. So from a competition point of view, it was a perfect game that needed to, to happen. But obviously you and I and the rest of the listeners kind of look at it from an Australian perspective and uh, a disappointing loss for the, for the players because uh, there were times there that they could have uh, really shown why they've been so dominant over the last few years.
1: Yes, well, I mean, looking at the scorecard, Lisa, we can see 32 extras by the Aussies, including 23 wides. Uh, Laura Jolly, our reporter on the ground over there, she crunched the numbers and discovered the Aussies have bowled 112 sundries for the tournament. The next worst is England on 69. Uh, how did it get to this point, Lisa, that Australia been so professional in all three facets of the game, uh, how did they get to this point and how do you fix it on such short notice?
0: Yeah, that that that's that's going to be the question for Joe Dawes, the bowling coach of the Australian side. I'm I'm sure he's lost a fair bit of hair since being in the tournament. Just with the fact that you know that that column is is certainly up and about, and that was one of the reasons why the Australians lost the game against England. You can't afford to be bowling that many extras against a quality side because they will hurt you. I mean. There were two that went for five wide, so that you know there's ten instead of two, you know eight extra instead of just two wides. But still, that is a lot of um, a lot of deliveries that the the players haven't been able to execute their plan. So, uh, the, the bowling side was always um, not a concern, but probably the weaker aspect of the Australian side, and and those numbers show that.
1: As we dig a little bit deeper into that, Lisa Elise Vellani has been used as a six bowler. In this tournament, she took three for 42 from five overs against England. She's been bowling at the death. Is Villani, uh, as a bowling option, a concern for Australia that they don't have another go-to there and and bowling at the death? Do you think that's a a wise decision by Meg Lanning, considering that Villani hasn't done a whole lot of bowling at international level in the past couple of years?
0: Well, I I don't have an issue with Meg Lanning using Elise Villani sporadically throughout an innings or when things, you want to change something up uh because, you know, she nags away at the stumps, she has a little cutters, um and also when a part time bowler comes on, you think, Great, this is this is an opportunity to go up a gear and, and you might necess- you might actually buy a wicket. My concern against England was the fact that she bowled the last over. Now I know Elise Perry uh didn't look at her best that day but in my mind, you still back your senior players, regardless of how poorly they've performed sometimes, to be able to finish it off unless you there are an alarm bells ringing with you, and you've got this gut feeling um so I'd like to think that the Australian selectors moving forward realize that they they might need a six bowler that's a little bit more recognized than a lead elite Solani now, where do you put that in? Who do you drop? Yeah. Um, you know, the batters, I get the batters have, have done well so far, but sometimes it it doesn't matter who's been performing well. You need a balanced side, and that may mean that someone who's in form has to sit out for you to allow that balanced side to take the field.
1: So with your select this cap on, Lisa, who do you think could come in <laughs> or make way?
0: Well, you've got, I mean, the, the fact that you've got Ash Gardner uh, batting at nine, if you want to keep your three spinners in, then you need to drop a batter. Um your options are <clears throat> to drop one of the openers and uh one of your your order slots up and opens uh and there's a number of players within the, the side that could certainly open the batting or you drop uh say Alex Blackwell who kind of is in that number 5 posi- sorry number 6 position that's just there really as a as a batter. So then you slide everyone up. So there's two options that they could go with. Um, or the other thing is, you drop one of your spinners and you bring in another med. Um, I think the Australia Revolt that's been very successful is they've had a, a little medium pacer in the middle part, being able to kind of tie down an end and, and bowl stump to stump and, and bowl Yorkers. Uh, Sarah Coit did that wonderfully well for the Australian side whilst I was playing. And I think I think that's what they're missing within their bowling lineup.
1: Right. Well, that's, we're set 260. To win. Top board all made starts. Beth Mooney, 31, Nicole Bolton, 26, Elise Perry batting at number 370, and Meek Landing, 40. But they just got bogged down in the middle overs. Lisa, you said on broadcast commentary that uh, you want a bit more innovation. You and Charlotte Edwards call for a bit more innovation in the Australian lineup. Has that got to do with the, the batting order? Just to be a bit more flexible when things do. Probably not go to plan.
0: Yeah, and this is the first time that the Australian batting order, um, the, the top order, hasn't really fired. So it's certainly not alarm bells by by all all means. I just feel that sometimes, and Charlotte Edwards said it in the telecast that they're pretty much the same same type players. You know, hit very strong down the ground. Alex Blackwell is really one of the only ones that shows that innovation and moves around the crease a little bit more. I think that's something that the Australian batters maybe need to look at. You can't just kind of sit in the same spot and keep going. Um, You know, where they lost the game, I think, was around that 30 to 40 over mark. Um, The second power play, I think they only scored 16 runs in those five overs. Uh, They didn't lose a wicket, but it, it just really allowed the English bowlers to get on top, and that run rate just kept pushing up and up and up, and um, there didn't seem to be any urgency or taking a, some calculated risks. Um, so that's, you know, they, they, I think whilst it was fine for them, the top order to, to take their time and get set, they did eat up a lot of balls. And and then if you get out, then you leave a lot of work for the the lower order. To kind of chase down that score. If they were to have stayed in, we were, Australia would have won comfortably. But that didn't happen. So they've just got to keep that in mind if they're going to sit around and take a bit of time. Then they've got to make sure that they finish it off.
1: Now, is this a is this a loss that the Aussies had to have? I mean, you never want to lose a game of international cricket, especially in a World Cup. But often losses reveal more than wins, and maybe they can focus a little bit more on their weaknesses. So a couple of games out before hopefully the semi-finals. Was this loss actually maybe a blessing in disguise, Lisa?
0: Yeah, I think if you if you're ever going to win, uh, sorry, lose a game in a, in a World Cup, you certainly want to do it during round matches. You don't want to do it to <laughs> obviously semi-finals or yep. finals time. So, i I think um I think it is the win uh, the loss that they needed to have. Uh, I think, you know, they've been playing some really good cricket. You know, they played well against the New New Zealanders. And and now they've got... They actually had some really tough matches. But I think this is just what they need. Um, You you never want to kind of go through a tournament undefeated because at some point the odds go against you. So, um, yeah, I think this will. And it'll mean that they... They're not as invincible as they they may have thought. You know, they've played some some really exciting cricket so far this tournament. Um, you know, they've they've pretty much been undefeatable throughout the the ICC Women's Championship. So I think this is a, a, a nice leveler for them.
1: Some positives out of the match. We seem to be focusing on the negatives, but there's some positives were Kristen Beams and Ashka Lisa. She started with the ball, one for 41, and with the bat hit her first ball for six. She's a real find. Um, we need to get her up the order somewhere, don't we? She's a phenomenal talent.
0: Credit to Kristen Beams. I, th- I thought she was a little bit under pressure coming into this match. Um, you know, obviously Amanda Wellington is, is in the squad and performed well when, when she was given the opportunity. They bowled differently, even though they're leg spinners. Um, but Kristen Beams answered answered the critics, so to speak, and uh, picked up, you know, key wickets regularly. Uh, and Ash Gardner, uh, she's probably been defined from the Australian side. You know, from a Sydney Sixers point of view, very dominant with the bat and was handy with off spin, but her bowling over here has has certainly improved and um she's your more traditional off spinner, she tosses it up, you know, she really attacks a batter in that sense. Um uh and then yeah we saw what she can do with the bat you know I wish I could have done that when I was playing, you know, to come in first ball go whack, six straight over. She's I I said it on commentary, her and Elisa Healy have got to be the cleanest strikers of mm. the ball from ball one uh, other players take their time to get in but i've seen healy and gardner come in that's a rarity in women's cricket
1: oh absolutely yeah. how about uh how about meg's shoulder the skipper she's been throwing underarm it doesn't seem to affect her too much batting uh i believe some of the english players after the game so they were trying to test her out with some cross-battered shots because she wasn't hitting them as cleanly as she had previously is this affecting her a lot lisa is this going to be a real issue going forward
0: it, it looked like it um, for the first time she looked uncomfortable. There are a number of times she'd t- uh, taken her bottom hand, which is her right hand, off the bat while playing shots. Um, so I think it is a concern, uh, but you're never going to keep Meg Lanning out of the game for too long. Um, you know, this is a Women's World Cup, which is... the biggest tournament in the women's game so they'll manage her um, as best they can um, to get her through. I guess ideally there's only four matches left so I think it's important obviously that she plays against India um, that they almost kind of secure their spot in the semi-finals and then whether they rest her for the the last round match, I, I don't know. I don't know if you can take that risk going into the back end of the tournament. So I I think it is a concern but like I said, uh, Meg's had the shoulder injury for quite a while now um, and has managed so far but it it does seem that it's affecting her batting slightly.
1: Australia's next match is against India. They knocked off England in the opening match. That was a bit of an upset and then they lost to South Africa in their last match. What can we expect from India? Who should we look out for in that side, Lisa?
0: Yeah, it's been interesting to kind of watch India throughout this tournament. I think... uh, Against England, uh, they played really well. Um, Shmuthi Mandana, which um, those back home would have followed a little bit in the in the big bash, and she played for the Brisbane Heat. Uh, she's been really outstanding. But then f- after the first two games, she really hasn't troubled the scorers. And, and India since then have seemed to kind of go back into this... Um, this old mentality of, you know, really slow during the middle patch and then obviously then tr- accelerating out of the back end, uh, which against Sri Lanka, if Sri Lanka had um, had a bit more intensity with their batting, they would have really challenged them in, in that match. So. Uh, yeah, to me, India have gone backwards from the, the start of the tournament. It, it, they rely solely on their top order of Poonam Rao, um, Shmiti Mandana and Dipti Sharma. Dipti Sharma has been consistent, not only with the bat, but also the ball. So she's certainly one of the players I think they need to look out for. But if that top order spend a bit of time out in the middle, because they tend to be the more attacking batters, they set the tone for the match. Whereas if Australia can take them out early it means that um the likes of the middle oil will then sit around and wait and wait and wait until like the 45th over so um it's a it's a massive game uh for both sides because India having gone through the I you know had four wins just like Australian have just lost their last one against South Africa and they've got tough games ahead India so you know they're they're almost in a position where if they lose another one, they could be out of the semi final. So it's a crucial match for both sides, which means that hopefully we get some exciting cricket to watch.
1: That's right. There are five teams left, Lisa, eligible or in the running for the semi-finals. Pakistan, Sri Lanka and the West Indies, unfortunately, can't make it. So New Zealand, South Africa, England, Australia and India, five teams, four spots. Who's going to miss out?
0: I actually think India will. I think the way that the South Africans are playing at the moment, even though they lost against England, who put on 373, they chased it down um, and were what 30 30 runs short. Um, They were the first team to score over 300 in a chase um, in women's cricket ODI history. Uh, the batters seem very comfortable and confident. Lizelle Lee f- seems to be the one that, that again sets the tone at the top of the innings. Um, she strikes the ball really well to hit sixes for fun. Um, yeah, I can certainly see South Africa making the semi final at their good side. Um, and India, like I said earlier, they just seem to be kind of falling back into their old habits, um, which means when they come up against the likes of Australia, Australia, uh, and New Zealand, um, you'd expect those teams to overpower
1: them. Finally, Lisa, where was my pick of lunch the other day? You promised me you were going to be a, uh, a pick on Twitter of your lunch. It never came. I was standing by hitting refresh. It never happened. What's going on?
0: It did happen actually, Sam. I think you do need to go check Twitter. I what? took one uh, in Derby. Yeah, I took a photo going. Did you this is a different spread. I didn't tag you, and I Okay. I had to actually tag you in it. Do you ever follow me? Surely you just follow me and you just uh, refresh and make sure you just see what I'm saying. Surely
1: Uh, that's the case. I'm just checking out. Oh, that's a bit awkward, isn't it? I'll follow you now from now on, Lisa. It is awkward. (laughs) I really appreciate your time. (laughs) Go Australia and hopefully we'll speak to you again later in the tournament.
0: No worries. Thanks, Sam. Bye.
1: Australia and Victoria, quick. Peter Siddle, welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. How you been, pal?
2: Yeah, I've been all right, Sammy. Thanks for having me back on. Looking forward to it.
1: All right. Well, let's start with your fitness, Pete. Uh, you've had a couple of tough years, injury-wise, the latest setback, a back issue suffered in the first test of last summer. Where are you at right now?
2: Yeah, it was, uh, yeah so it's was. Yeah, it been a while since I've played some competitive cricket, but um, no, I'm travelling well at the moment. had a, another scan a couple of...
0: Uh, weeks ago and it
2: came back very positive so it's pretty much 98 percent healed it's, it's still got a tiny little bit to go before it's fully healed but um, I can resume bowling at the moment and um, hopefully with that little bit of uh, you know that little bit of training and a little bit of um, a bit bit of movement in the back that'll uh, continue to finish off the healing process and I'll be hundred percent healed in in a matter of weeks which will be great
1: so what have you been doing now? You're in pre-season with the bush rangers. Have just been in the strong room, throwing some tin around?
2: Yeah, yeah, in the strong room. I don't think uh, I've been throwing around massive, <laughs> massive weights like some of the young boys. But, um, but uh, yeah, no, nah, going all right. It's been good fun down uh, in pre-season this year. It's, um, it's been all right here in Melbourne. The, the rain stayed away, which is always a blessing. So it's um, been a little bit cool, but because um, the rain's away, it's, it's never quite as cold.
1: And when are you going to start bowling in a couple of weeks?
2: No, I started bowling. Yeah, started started last week, so this is my second week back bowling now. So it's, um yeah, I've, I've about uh, five or six steps at the moment. It's sort of 50%, but um in the coming weeks I'll just slowly progress um that run up back a little bit further, the intensity a little bit, and then get the overs um the workload starting to get out a few more overs as the weeks pro- um progress along. But um yeah, it's exciting to have the ball back in hand. That's for sure.
1: Are you just itching to get off the long run and just rip in, just bowl one as fast as you can?
2: Yeah, hundred percent. I, I started <laughs> the other day. I sort of had the first session after I would bowled a, a couple of overs. All, all I wanted to do was push off the back of the net and and charge in and let a few go. But um, no, nah, it, it is just nice to be you know back in bowling amongst the boys and and just and doing the same stuff as the boys. You're not really stuck away in the rehab group anymore. I can participate in you know the the early season skill sessions and um, and keep progressing from here to. To be re- right for the coming season
1: and you're pretty confident and all things going well we'll see you uh matador cup sheffield shield test matches ashes all that stuff
2: yeah i think that's 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 what a pleasing thing about um obviously i chose to finish the um season a little bit prematurely um last year um to to get the body right make sure this time it was a hundred percent and i think um by getting that positive result the other week with the scan that um, it puts me in good stead going forward for the rest of pre-season. I can get it right. And, and, and this year round, I can I can play practice matches leading into the Matador and the start of the season, which last year, I just pretty much went straight from the Nets into games, which in the end, it, it showed that it wasn't right um, preparation to, to get back in the test arena. So hopefully this year, all going to plan, no setbacks. But, um yeah, the process that we're doing um, this time round will be spot on and I'll be right for... All forms of cricket, and like you said, yeah, hopefully they're part of the Ashes series in the middle of the summer.
1: Before we get on to the Ashes, Peter, it would be remiss of us not to touch briefly on the MOU pay dispute. At the moment, the standoff continues, Sid, but I believe the two CEOs met face-to-face today in Melbourne. So uh, let's just hope there's a bit of progress there. Ultimately, both sides just want the best outcome for cricket, don't they?
2: Yeah, 100%. Obviously, it's it's, it's disappointing for for everyone involved. CA, obviously, uh, the, the players, the ACA, and... And just the general public, there's been a lot going on in the media and, you know, in the news and all that kind of thing, which is, you know, it's not great for cricket. And and it is. Both parties do want the best for cricket. Um, We just have to find that middle ground and whatever that might be. But I think that's the best sign at the moment is, you know, the two CEOs sitting down together. They can start discussing things and, you know, start nutting it out over a, over a couple, of, a couple of coffees and uh, and, a, and a few long hours. But, um, no, it's great signs that it's moving forward. And hopefully, yeah, that can be resolved in the coming weeks. And, you know, we can put it all behind us, um, ev- everyone in Australia, and we can go forward and um, prepare for the summer and pre- prepare for the cricket ahead.
1: All right, good stuff. Uh, back onto the field, Ciz. Uh, what did you make of Kakiso Rabada getting a one-match suspension after his send-off for Ben Stokes?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit of a funny one. I've <laughs> had a chat with a few a few mates and stuff, and I think, um, yeah, if that had been a ca- the case uh, probably the last five to ten years, there would have been a, um, a lot of, probably myself and a, and a few of my teammates would have missed a fair bit of cricket, I would have thought, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's disappointing, it is. I know he's had a few little minor um, hiccups along along his short career so far that have probably, you know, built up and, and has cost him this time around, but... He is one of the stars of world cricket at the moment. He's exciting yeah. to watch. He's exciting to play against. So I think it is it is disappointing for Test cricket, the big series against England. Um, I know from the English side of things, they... They're even a bit disappointed. You know, he's not taking part in it because it, it is such a big series. So it's going to be disappointing not seeing him in the next test.
1: Now, I'm sure, as you alluded to, that you've said much worse out on the cricket field, Sids. But uh, that one got picked up by the stump mic. So do you reckon that the stump mic has caused a few issues in the past? Do you think they should just turn it off completely or at least turn it down once the ball is dead? So if bowlers do express a bit of uh, feeling out there in the middle that it doesn't get picked up?
2: 100%. I think, you know... It's it's always the the case, isn't it, that the TV company ends up coming out and saying, oh, sorry, it was just a little mi- uh, um, a mix up and it shouldn't a, it shouldn't have been heard. The similar thing happened, to, obviously the big one in Australia, Michael Clark in the Ashes series a few years back, um, having a go at Jimmy Anderson, and you know, at, at the end of the day, the TV company comes out and just apologises. But it's um, it, it is something that just has to be stopped. Yeah, like those type of things, it's a bit of emotion on the field, it's just a bit of bit of fun it's a bit it's a, it's a tough contest out there and sometimes like i said the emotion comes out um sometimes doesn't sound great but you know it's 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 not meant in any you know any harm to the per, to the person at the other end it's just a bit of anger or frustration so it's disappointing um hopefully it does get resolved because yeah we're going to miss one of the, the most exciting players in test cricket at the moment he's going to miss a test match um yeah because of obviously someone else's miss
1: and Sid, so you've never said anything like that, have you, before? You're, you're a golden boy on the field. You just ask the batsman to politely leave the field once you dismiss them?
2: No, that's right. you you're just uh, <laughs> nice and polite. I keep it clear, and I was pretty lucky that um, there wasn't a lot of stump, Mike. Used with the with the TV companies in most of my most of my career so far, so I've been pretty lucky. <laughs>
1: the other person involved in the Rabada instance was England's Ben Stokes. Now he's been at the centre of a number of stoushes in his uh, brief international career. Sid, what do you reckon about him? Gets opponents so animated?
2: Um, yeah, I think it's just that he, he's an aggressive player himself, isn't it? And I think you know he loves the contest, he loves the battle out in the field, and it tends to be the case that. Um, if there's a little bit of a stink on the field, that for for England he's been there, you know, sort of their aggressor. So he's been the man to go about it and put the pressure on the other team um, with bat or ball. So I think it, um, you know, it gets a few uh, a few back backs up in opposition players. And um, I know we have had some um, good battles against him in the past. So it's no different that um, other opposition teams uh, have the trouble with him as well.
1: I reckon that first instance was in his debut series in the Ashes in Adelaide when him and Big Mitch Johnson came together. What are your memories of that stoush?
2: I think that was the start of him. I think that's where everyone started to realise, you know, that he is, you know, this this tough, uh, aggressive bloke, New Zealander. His dad dad came from the rugby background, so he was a, a, a very big, strong lad. He he loved a bit of a fight um, out in the field, and I think it showed. I think, yeah, Hads was out there as well, had a bit of a a bit of a battle out in the field with him. So he is, a, he is an aggressive player, and I think he, he, sh- he showed that from that first series against us.
1: But they're the type of players you want to see, don't you, Sids? I mean, when he's out there batting or bowling, it's all eyeballs on the action.
2: No, it is, and I think that's the, that's the reason, you know, Rabada had that, you know, that good battle with him. He's, they're star players, you know. Stokes is one of the star players. He's one of the key players for England. So you do want to put him under the pump. You want to put a bit of pressure on him, and I think um, sometimes it is by going aggressive. You know, being aggressive towards him with a little bit of verbal and a, a little bit of aggressive bowling. And, you know, sometimes it it comes out and it does uh, it does cost him his wicket. Um, and as as we've seen, it cost Rabada a test match.
1: Staying on the Ashes, Pete, uh, England have a fair pace attack at their disposal these days. James Anderson and Stuart Broad, they're going to likely lead the quick men in Australia this summer. Uh, but they're getting on a little bit. In particular, Anderson is going to be 35 come Ashes time. How do you see those two guys performing down under this season?
2: Yeah, I think it probably depends on this series. I know there was a lot of talk of Jimmy Anderson going into this series, how much he's going to play, where he's at, what he's going to do, and um, he's played a lot of first-class cricket in the early season over there to get his body right. And I think it's going to—it's probably going to be a sign how he goes throughout this series to what we can look forward to in the summer, and you know, hopefully for our sake that um, he struggles a little bit in this series against South Africa and. <laughs> You know, there's a few question marks about coming over to Oz because uh, we've we've had some good battles with him, and you know at at times he's really he, he's had the wood over us. So hopefully uh, for our sake that he's not in great form, and um, you know we can we can we can put them under the pump a little bit with some fresh players.
1: Now he's a fantastic bowler, England's leading wicket taker in Test match history, but uh, he hasn't got the greatest record in Australia. Since do you think he sometimes gets a little bit targeted? When that ball isn't swinging, he's a fabulous with the new ball and when it's reversing. But in Australia, with a kookaburra on flat wickets and it's not doing much, can you sense that the Aussie batsmen go after him a little bit more?
2: Yeah, that, that, that's spot on. That's, it's always been the case with him that we've known in Australia and it's always been a plan that if, if it does stop swinging, you know, you, you can really get on top of him. And he does get frustrated when um, the batsmen get on top of him. So it's been a bit of our plan that, you know, if he's in a good spell when it's swinging, you know, just be defensive play it straight, you know, Let just bide your time because you know once that swing dies off that, um, you know, you can have a good crack at him and, and you can make the most of it. And I think it has showed with his record in Australia. Um, so he's, uh, he is a player that uh, you can get on top of, but he has had his moments where, you know, he's been all over us and put us under the pump. So um, you just don't know what type of Jimmy Anderson you're going to get. Um, and it sometimes can be dependent on Mother Nature and what's what's overhead, mm-hmm. so... Hopefully it's a, uh, a, a a sunny summer um, and uh, and not much swing, which means uh, Jimmy Anderson's not going to be quite as uh, effective.
1: Now sis, can you believe it's been seven years this November since you claimed that Ashes hat trick on your birthday, and now I'm sure you've told that story a thousand times. Uh, so can you tell us something about that day or perhaps that moment that nobody's ever heard before?
2: Uh, um, I don't, I don't know. I think probably the. The biggest thing I don't know probably for me it was it was so exciting yes it was a hat trick it was my birthday and everything but I think up until then I'd um I hadn't been playing any cricket I'd actually came back from a stress fracture um in my back so maybe that's a that's a bit of an omen um coming into this um this Ashes series this summer maybe it might um you know something might uh, click and I'll, and I'll come back but um that's probably the biggest thing. It was my first game back at international cricket for about um, 11 months. So um, hopefully, maybe fingers crossed, that, um, yeah, the, the similar circumstances this time round that um, that same opportunity might arise. All right,
1: we're going to finish with an over with Sid. Six questions. Are you ready? Yep, I'm ready to go. Okay. Name the cricket venue in the world with the best catering.
2: Lords. Just their their selection of food. It's unbelievable. They get a, get a separate menu every day. Um, a fully stocked uh, fridge full of soft drinks and so- soda waters and juices. It's just got everything. So um, the ones in Australia are pretty good. MCG is remarkable, but um, I'll have to go with Lords. It is one of the yeah, it's one of the nicest places venues to play, and um, yeah, you get a great selection of food, so it's always great.
1: If you had to choose someone to bat to save a Test match, who would it be and why?
2: I'll have to go with Ricky Ponting. Um, I think yeah, he's always one of my heroes growing up. Um, Probably one of the toughest players I've ever played with in any sport. So I think, um, yeah, I have to go off the great, uh, the great former captain, Ricky.
1: And North Melbourne supporter. I'm sure there's no bias there, Pete. Uh, <laughs> tell us, you've taken up more than 200 Test match wickets. Can you tell us your luckiest dismissal?
2: Um, luckiest one? Oh, maybe all of them. <laughs> nah, I think uh, my, my luckiest one would probably have to be anyone that's been a court and bowled. <laughs> I think for me, for me to be able to get under it and catch it, I think it's pretty lucky. But no, Courtney Bolt had one against India, um, Adelaide Test, uh, a fair few years ago. I, I came on first change for into Seawag. Um, it was a bit of a loose snail. It was actually a full toss on leg stump, so he probably should have hit it for six. Um, but somehow whacked it back to back to me, sort of back towards mid on, and I sort of jumped across and. It's sort of just um, stuck in one hand, so that's probably the luckiest one I've got.
1: Funniest sledge you've heard. Who said it? And uh, if you can tell us, tell us what the sledge is.
2: Um, I probably can't tell you, but <laughs> I'll, I'll remind you of the sledge and everyone will remember it, so we're we'll probably going back to the stump mic. I think I, I, I like the, um, the Michael Clark sledge to Jimmy Anderson um, at the Gabba that when he got caught, um, obviously, uh, with the stump mic about maybe um, bowling a few more bounces and breaking his arm. I think that was always a, a funny one. I think it made it a little bit more funnier too that it did get picked up on the stump mic. It's, um, it was hilarious.
1: Did that moment, was go off track a little bit, but did that moment really galvanise you guys and just know that, hey, 5-0, even though it was only the first Test match, but you guys had them under the pump and 5-0 was a real possibility?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that, yeah, it was probably started start of that series, definitely. I think, you know, J- Jono really giving it to the... Um, their top order and putting them under the pump and, you know, just how aggressive we were and dominant we were in that first test match probably did set us up um, for how we're going to play in the remainder of that series. And, you know, as as, as it ended up, you know, 5-0, it was the perfect start. And I think it was just one of those series where it it turned out to be the perfect series. Everything we did um, just went to plan. And I think, um, yeah, that was definitely the start of um, something special.
1: Back to the questions. Your favourite teammate and why? This is a controversial one.
2: <laughs> uh, I've got some good ones. I've um, obviously got quite a, a lot of close mates that I've played with uh, with state cricket and for Australia. But I'll probably have to go with um, my good mate Brad Haddon. Yeah, I think you know, Brad Haddon has, has always been a good supporter of me. We've had some great fun together. I think um, you know we've always been really close. Um, banter and you know, I think we're very similar in personality. So he was someone that always got along with really well. Uh, top bloke, always always had my back. And I think um, he's one of those players that uh, I wish I could always take the field with because he's always going to back you up, support you um, and do anything for you. So that, that, that's, that's why I think we're still close now, even though we live in separate states. But um, yeah, we're still very good friends.
1: And finally, the best piece of advice that you have given...
2: Um, the best piece of advice—it's just something I—I heard. Uh, I don't even know who told me. Or I might have just heard it, or read it somewhere as a young person. And I just like to use it um, if I'm signing stuff personally for, for young kids and stuff. And it was always, um, no dream is ever too big. Um, and yeah, I've just sort of always, always stuck with that. And so that's sort of my sort of little uh, bit of advice that I just yeah pass on to other young kids. Um, you know, you always have a lot of dreams as a youngster and there's plenty of people that will tell you that, um, oh, that's never going to happen or that's, you know, that's too big a dream, think of something else. But um, I think that's something that I always stuck with and um, something that I like to pass on as well.
1: Wonderful, Sid. Mate, appreciate you coming on the show. Welcome back. Hopefully we'll see you back out in the middle for Australia this summer and good luck with all the injury rehab. We'll speak to you again soon.
2: Cheers, Sammy. Thanks very much.
1: On the line is Chris Stocks, cricket.com.au's England correspondent. stocks you were there for the Lord's Test match. Big picture thoughts first up. How about England's crushing win of South Africa?
3: Yeah, it was a fantastic start to the English Test summer. Um, but obviously come off a hard winter in Bangladesh and India. Uh, and, and to win their first Test in seven was, was a big victory, especially given it was Joe Root's first game as Test captain. Um, you really need to get off to a good start. And uh, his team didn't disappoint him.
1: Just on Joe wrote, how impressive was he making a century on captaincy debut? It's the highest score by an Englishman on test captaincy debut. I think it's the third highest ever or fourth highest ever. Nearly got that double hundred. Um, What a way to put a stamp on your team.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as I'm sure happened before Steve Smith captaincy in Australia, you know, all the debate is do you give your best batsman the the captaincy because it may take away from his batting. It could harm his game. Um, But he, 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 he... Basically delivered in his first game in very difficult circumstances. You know, England was 76 or four on the first day, and they needed a the beginning from from Root. Uh, and as captain, he, he led the way. He got them up to uh, past 450, which in the end proved more than enough to um, to, to kind of set up a, a match-winning uh, situation for his team. And I was really, really impressed. I think it was hugely important for him to get off to that start with the bat as captain because one score like that, all the questions go away about whether the captain is bad for his batting or not.
1: Stoxy, what was with all the no balls by the proteas? There was first morning Morkel overstepped when he bowled, well, he bowled a few with the new ball, then he bowled Ben Stokes, then Kesha Maharaj, the left-arm spinner. I mean, it's absolute cardinal sin for a spinner to bowl a no ball, but he had Joe Root stumped. What's going on there? You've never seen a a South African team so ill-disciplined. Well, yeah.
3: I mean, the no balls were odd, especially um, Maharaj. You know, he could have got root at you know, it was on 149. You know, the damage had probably been done by then, but for a spinner to overstep is always unforgivable, isn't it? Yeah, um, absolutely. Apparently, this is a problem they've been having for a long This is a problem they've been having for a long time. Um, we saw it rear its head again at Lords. Dean Elgar, obviously, standing captain for, for that test match for South Africa with Pat Duplessis away. He he called it uh, the Nobles non negotiable. South Africa know, you know, that they're, they're a cardinal sin and, and they can't keep making mistakes like that. They want to contest this series um, at all. I mean, and it wasn't just the, the no-balls. There were plenty of drop catchers. Root was was dropped twice early in his innings, which you could say may, may have cost South Africa the game in the end because it was a match defining innings. Uh, Philander, even on the on the fourth of final day, he dropped Johnny Bairstow when he was on seven. Bairstow went on to make um, his 15th Century at that point Philander taking the catch with the pressure gone on England again we, we don't know but yeah it was a really ill-disciplined performance and not what you'd expect from South
1: Africa. How much do you think is attributed to Faf not being there there's no Davies in that side anymore there's no Dale Steyn. do you think they're just missing a little bit of polish without those senior guys there?
3: I don't know Um I mean Duplessis not being there was obviously a big miss for them he, he's their captain and he's a, he's a batsman as well as, as you guys down in Australia know he can he can frustrate and he can also inspire his team as well when they when they need uh, a big score from him in a, in a tight situation in the game so he was a huge miss and obviously his captaincy um, on the field was, was a big miss as well but I don't know I mean South Africa have been here since uh, mid-May mm. so they've been here almost a couple of months and not had a good tour um, they had a they lost the one-day series. Had a poor Champions Trophy going out in, in the group stage. They lost the T20s against England. And as we've seen, well, seen with England in, in the winter in India. You know, when you get on a rut in a tour, little things go wrong. Everything goes against you. And it, that seems to be what's happening at Lords. Um, I don't know. It's going to be hard for them to turn it around. But I think with Duplessis coming back for Trent Bridge, that is at least something for South Africa to cling on to in the hope that they can turn it around.
1: Where was this South Africa last summer? We got a, stri- a red-hot South Africa. They didn't even have Dale Stanley got injured in the first test. They came out and caught everything. They bowled superbly and knocked off the Aussies in two tests. We want to Can we swap, make a bit of a contest of it? Yeah, I don't know what happened.
3: I mean, we are watching <laughs> that series from afar. We were in India at the time watching England get absolutely uh, massacred by the Indians and... <laughs> we were wondering what was going on with, with with australia you you guys are in crisis but um you you see just turned it around and South Africa seem to be uh, in the situation you guys are in you're your some of this some well what was it eight months ago or so so I don't know um i, I wouldn't write them off because you, you know they won they won the last two series in Australia they only lost one of the last sixteen away series over the last ten years mm-hmm. so they've got the record behind them but at this point, they're looking, you know, they need to probably win the Trent Bridge Test to stay in this series.
1: Okay, so England's spinners took 14 of the 20 South African wickets at Lords. But, Stoxy, I want to know how you assessed the performances of the fast bowlers. Anderson coming in with a bit of a, a groin injury, uh, Stuart Brawl with his own mm-hmm. issues, and Mark Wood coming back into Test cricket. How did you rate the quicks?
3: Well, I think the... the the first thing you need to kind of uh, check off the list after a test match with with England fast bowlers or seam bowlers is are they all fit afterwards? Uh, and and the one huge positive was that Broad, who'd come into the game with a niggle and um, had you know he, he was he, his his participation was in the balance or you know in the week beforehand, um, but Broad came through really well um, without any problems. He looked really good in the South Africa second innings. he bowled three overs the spinners took over but he, he his pace was up he was looking pretty threatening which bodes well for Trent Bridge. Anderson again has had a lot of injury problems the last well last 18 months really but he wasn't well, at his absolute best but he did a job and Mark Wood he's feeling his way back into test cricket it was his first test uh since the summer of 2015 in the Ashes series uh so he obviously is feeling his way back in but he didn't probably perform the way he'd want, but I think all three of them coming through injury-free uh, was a huge plus, and I think we'll see uh, the best of them at Trent Bridge, a venue which uh, obviously is very uh, historically
1: seen-friendly. Yes, I, I think the last time I was at Trent Bridge, Stray might have been bought out for 60s, but I don't want to remember that at the moment. Uh, um, can you talk us through the real flashpoint of that first test, Kajiso Rabada and Ben Stokes, the send-off, what was it like in the Lord's press box when that went down?
3: Well, to be true, I'm well, brutally honest with you, Sam, at the time, no one picked it up. Um, really? A lot was happening. And, it was yeah, it was on, on the stump mic. Um, the commentators picked it up. No one in the box picked it up. No one wrote about it the next day, which is always a telltale sign that it kind of gone under the radar. But, obviously, the on-field umpires heard it. Stokes heard it. Uh, and when you do listen back to the the, the TV um Stump mics. and uh, The replay of that dismissal is pretty clear what what he said. Um, but it was a bit of a surprise the next day when we found out he was banned because we obviously hadn't, weren't fully aware of what happened to him earlier uh, on the year in that one-day series against Sri Lanka where he picked up uh, three demerit points for an incident with um, Dick Weller. Um, so at the time, it was it was it went fairly unnoticed. Which obviously, when you found out the next day he, he was banned, came as a bit of a shock.
1: Yeah, I mean, this demerit point system, it's only new. Uh, I think there's a couple of flaws in it. First of all, spreading the demerit points across formats, I'm not sure if that's a great move, but you don't want to see one mm. of the most exciting fast bowlers in the world miss a test match because uh, running in a one-day a month before, and now he's going to miss a test match because he gave a, an aggressive Bitesman a bit of a send-off. Sure, if the stunt marks weren't up, they probably wouldn't have even heard that and we wouldn't even be talking about it right now. What are your thoughts on the demerit point system? You'd hate to see a player like Robada miss a test match just for being a fast bowler. Yeah,
3: I mean, it's always a difficult one, isn't it? You know, you'll have people who will say that you, you need you need to have a line when it comes to kind of on-field um, chirping and sledging and send-offs and whatnot. Uh, does it create a bad example for kids? It does. You know, you don't, you don't want people um, being blatantly aggressive and... and stepping over that line every single time they, 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 they play the game in front of the TV cameras, but um, in in this case I mean, I think Rabada has been harshly dealt with, yes he he swore at Ben Stokes, and yes he should be punished for that I guess, um, but if you look at the incident with Dick Weller in Cape Town back in February, he got 3D narrow points because there was bodily contact if you look at the replays of that, it was absolutely nothing, it both of them were it. smiling that's yeah, it seem really heavy-handed. Uh, I, I think the ICC need to look at that. I mean, if it's a blatant physical contact, you know, someone hits somebody, of course, um, or even if it's a push or whatever it is, but, you know, this this was nothing. It appeared to be absolutely nothing, which you know, is, is, a, is something I think the ICC need to look at. And obviously, you say, yeah, you don't want a fantastic talent like Rabada to be missing a test match because, you know, people pay their money for their uh, satellite subscriptions and, and to enter the ground. And they want to see two, the two best sets of 11 players playing each other. And I think the people who will turn up to Trent Bridge over the next five days from Friday will be um, disappointed not to see a talent like Rabada And I think it takes something away from the series because, you know... <laughs> Rabada in the team makes South Africa stronger. It's a more competitive game. And, you know, we all want competitive cricket. We no don't like to see, you know, one-sided series. You want a real contest. And taking Rabada out of that next test, I think, um, you know, lessens the likelihood of that.
1: Well, Rabada's just the latest on what's becoming a long list of opponents for Ben Stokes, I guess. Uh, Marlon Samuels, Shakib Al Hasan, even our own Mitchell Johnson, they've all had run-ins with the all-rounder. What do you think Stokes attracts all this kind of attention?
3: Well, I think, um, first off he's he's a heartbeat of England's team and the opposition know that. Uh and he is on his day their best bowler and their best batsman, sometimes both on the same day. You know, he when he gets in the mood, he, he he's, you know, almost untouchable as an all rounder. He can he can win a game or affect a game um on his own. So that makes opponents I think probably uh target him more. I also think he's a very um yeah. He's a very spiky character himself. You know, he plays the game hard. He's almost Australian, like in in the way he approaches it. You know, he doesn't take it back a backward step, and yeah. he's always up for a, a battle. You know, and that's his, that's his personality, and that's what makes him such a such a great player. Um, but I don't I, know. I, I, I think Basti Plessy actually spoke after Lawless. he came, he arrived at the ground on the final day, and and did a, a follow up press conference uh, primarily for the South African journalists who rode here. And he said in the IPL, they call Ben Stokes the dragon. Uh, because when he gets <laughs> in a mood or gets angry, um, he's fiery like a dragon. Uh, and, you know, everyone wants to slay the dragon. I think that they think the best way of doing that is trying to wind him up. But I can tell you from watching Ben Stokes for many years, the one thing you don't want to do is wind him up because that makes him perform. Um, if I was an opposition player, I would ignore it because I'd probably get on his nerves more than actually giving him a send-off or trying to wind him up.
1: He's one of those players, a bit like Virat Kohli, and Kevin Peterson. They like the aggro. They like getting uh, targeted by the opposition because, as you said, it fires them up and makes them steely, and makes them focused, and ultimately perform better.
3: Yeah, exactly. And we 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 had a few flashpoints um, late last year on England's tour of India, where where Kohli and and Stokes got into it on the field, and that was you know it was a it was an interesting battle to watch from the sidelines, and it was an interesting battle, I guess, for those two guys as well. But that's what you know. That's what makes cricket great isn't it these battles between players as long as they don't cross the line you know you want rivalries and you know people to be going toe to toe is what makes the game such a fascinating uh,
1: spectacle absolutely no debarant points for Ben Stokes please for the next couple of test matches Moen Alley he took 10 for an 87 with the bat easily his best game for England Stocks do you think he's really finally found his spot in that England 11 he's been he's batted from one to to nine he's bowled all over the shop but do you think their lower order coming in chipping in with late runs and doing a job with the ball as the second spinner as Trevor Bayliss happily pointed out that he is still the second spinner do you reckon that's his role he's, they've finally figured it out for him um,
3: I don't know it's, it's an odd one you mentioned uh, Trevor Bayliss there saying you know he's still the second spinner the guy taking 10 wickets at Lords,
0: yeah.
3: um, scored a half century as well as the first the first England player to score a half century and get 10 wickets in a the match since Ian Botham in 1980 um, I think think his role has been for the last few years and will be going into the future as one of England's finest all-rounders of the modern era. He's got a sensational um, uh, record. You know, he reached the twin landmarks of 100 runs and uh, sorry, 2,000 Test runs and 100 wickets at Lords, uh, and he did it uh, quicker than most. Um, ben Stokes has got five Test matches to catch him up. I'm not sure he, he'll do it in, in the same amount of time. Completely different players. But I think Moen needs to be seen as an all-rounder in his own right. Um, He is, despite what Bayless says, England's best spin option at the moment. Uh, Liam Dawson, who came in for this test, well, actually, he was in the side for the last match in India, but he retained his place uh, quite surprisingly. For uh, Lords, he really has seen sort of more of a holding uh, spinner who tie up an end and then let Moen attack from the other one. But Moen's undoubtedly England's best spin option by a by country mile. Uh, and as a batsman, yeah, he's, he's got a fantastic record. He's at seven now. Uh, I think during the Ashes a couple of years ago, he was as far down as eight. Um, I think he might have been back to nine in one innings during that series, and that's way too low for him. He, he's, a, he's a test match class batsman in, in his own right. Seven seems to work for him now, but England's top order isn't um, completely settled. It's in flux a little bit. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Moen pushed up the order from the Ashes uh, in the Australian summer. He, he can bat anywhere. Seven seems to be a good role, role for him now, but I wouldn't discount him moving up to. To six, or maybe even four, at some point, depending on what happens with the rest of England's uh,
1: top order. We spoke about his batting, but what about Joe Root's captaincy? His demeanour on the field—he was leading his troops. Uh, Alistair Cook, like he was having a great time at first slip, with all the pressure off him and all onto his his young predecessor. What about Root's first game as a leader?
3: Yeah, yeah, he did. He did really well. Um, it was kind of uh, <laughs> kind of funny. It was at Lords because. Um, the last game he captained for Yorkshire was um, against Middlesex at Lords two summers ago maybe three summers ago uh, and Middlesex chased down um, 450 plus with uh, Chris Rogers scoring a, a double hundred Root was known as Crapton after that um, <laughs> so he, it was nice for him to, to kind of get that out of his system at Lords I thought he, he, he did well it makes it easier scoring runs at the back but I thought he did pretty well on the field Actually, he brought on Liam Dawson uh, when he knew, you know, he wanted he wanted to get Hamler out cheaply, and he brought on Liam Dawson, and Dawson got Hamler in, it in his first over, and that kind of, you know, that's a judgment call that captain makes, and it worked for him. And I think everything was going his way uh, in, in that Lord's Test, and you know, yeah, he had a good, a good game with the bat and on the field as well. Um, things are going to get a lot tougher. You know, things don't always go your way, and I think uh, come the Ashes things will be, uh, you yeah, know, it'll be several situations where his captaincy really will be tested. But um, at the moment, he's he started well and, um, yeah, let's hope he can carry on.
1: All right, next test is going to be at Trent Bridge on Friday. Can the produce bounce mm. back? Stocks here with Faf at the helm. Are England going to make any changes? How do you see the second test playing out?
3: Yeah, um, of course South Africa can bounce back. They're, they're not, you know, they lost the last test by 211 runs, but they're not a bad team. Um, they've got a good record in England. Um England has, uh, uh, under under Trevor Bayliss, gone through a habit of you know not backing up performances in the next game. So, of course, they've, they've got a chance at Trent Bridge. Um, I don't think they will be favourites for it. England England undoubtedly will be. Um, but I think the South Africa, with fast coming in, they might be a little bit re-energised, and it might all depend on the toss, because the toss at Lord's mm-hmm. was a big one for Roode to win as well. Um, we'll, we'll see what happens. It's more scene-friendly, um, which... Will help England, but we'll also help South Africa because I think Philander was the best, the best seamer at Lords um, by by quite a distance. He, you know, we we didn't see him uh, when England went to South Africa um, a couple of years ago. He was injured, and they really missed him during that series. And we all saw how how, how good he was. Um, at Lords, you know he's an outstanding outstanding bowler so he could have a big part to play Morkel is a reliable guy he bowled pretty well at Lords as well so those two really could have a an impact at Trent Bridge um, but as you mentioned earlier um, the last time England played they bowled at Australia for 60 in the first innings and a Stuart Broad about 8-15 so it's a ground that both Anderson and Broad love it's Broad's home ground as well which always helps um, and I think this could be a really fascinating test match. Um, we, we, we'll see what happens, but I think it could it could be a tight one if it's bowlers dominating batsmen, as could be the case. Uh, and in terms of England's team, they've named exactly the same squad, and I don't expect them to make any changes whatsoever. It'll be the same eleven that won that at Lords, so um, they'll have a chance to back up that performance, and um, we'll see if they can do it.
1: What's your heart telling you? What's your gut telling you, Stocksy? England two 0 up, one all, a draw. What's going to be?
3: Um, cricket always has a way of making you look like a mug when you make predictions but um,
1: tell me about it, goes. it. Anyway, I
3: I, I, uh, I don't unless, unless the pitch is um, absolutely terrible as it was sort of three years ago when uh, India came to Trent oh. Bridge and actually tr- tr- well India came three summers three summers ago and the Trent Bridge chest was a dull dead draw because the pitch just died uh, and Trent Bridge got fined for that by the ICC so uh, I think we we should have a result and looking at it from here, you can't look past England, though, I think. Um, They've got no. their tails up after Lords, and they they should be looking to go to 0 up in the series and take a real stranglehold on it.
1: Well, that guarantees a Proteus win. Stock team. thanks again for your time, mate. Hopefully, yeah, it probably does. Hopefully touch no base with you uh, throughout the series and the rest of the summer, and then we'll see you down here for the Ashes.
3: Excellent. Thanks, Sam. <laughs>
1: That's it for today's episode. A big thank you to Lisa, Peter and Chris for their time. We'll be back next week. But until then, stay logged on to cricket.com.au for all the latest cricket news, scores and video.